Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And it's time for a Good Morning Nancy special. A week? Ah, uh, yeah. Gracie was down with the sickness. I was so sick, you guys. Oh. Like, I felt so bad. I had, like, I was like, I haven't been on Twitter today. And I was like, I haven't been on Instagram. And I was just like, but I was so dead to the world. It's hitting everybody so hard, though. Like, I was sick, mm, what, a week before that? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so guys, I'm so sorry that I haven't been I haven't been on social media a lot, and I apologize, but I'm feeling better. Yay! And my voice is back, Aww. so now we can record, and now we can make wonderful shows just for you. Yay! <laughs> and this one in particular, um, this is our second special, mm-hmm. so we put a lot of time and dedication into this one as well. Abby and... put a lot of time and dedication <laughs> into it. <laughs> While Gracie was, like, dying on her couch, so <laughs> cut her some slack, everybody. But, yeah, we're really excited to bring it to you guys, so. Yeah, totally. We hope you enjoy. Let's get it started. All right. So, we're all here because we love horror, and if you're listening to this podcast, something about horror really speaks to you in a way that nothing else does. But there's always an underlying scientific reason in our big, beautiful brains for why we love something or why we feel embraced by a certain community. So I've always been interested in psychology from the time I was a wee babe. (laughs) (laughs) And this uh, special is kind of a dream come true because I studied psychology in college and I really wanted to be a biopsychologist, but as you all know, I fell into podcasting and I really like not having to do math all the time. So, yeah, don't blame me there. It was not (laughs) one of my strong suits, but uh, you know. What is a biopsychologist? So, biopsychology is the study of how the brain affects all of the systems in your body. Okay. And um, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a mixture of how biology and psychology kind of work symbiotically. Nice. Because, like, really, anyone with a human conscience, consciousness, I think, like, you know, you can't have one without the other. Right. So they balance each other out. Cool. Yeah. So this seemed like the perfect opportunity to link those two things that I'm fascinated with. Yeah. Um, and with Gracie's help, we're going to run down a super basic layman's term filled episode that will hopefully give you some scientific answers as to why you're as obsessed with horror as we are. Just so happens that horror taps into primal stuff that we still identify with and psychology researchers, directors, and horror fans alike have dug up some pretty solid evidence as to why people love horror. So we're here to present some of those things and tie them in with a few personal discussions. Yeah, and uh, for this special, we're going to explore topics like um, fear and why we enjoy being afraid and how horror helps us cope. We'll also talk about a few experiments that help to inspire writers and directors of horror. 
we're also going to delve into the different genres and subgenres of horror and talk about horror icons and directors and why they love this crazy world and how horror helps us deal with our traumas in everyday life. Um, and we're also going to explore how this loops back around to feminism and why the psychology behind it has been such a useful tool for empowering women and shedding light on some social issues that affect mental health and well-being. Nice. And we're also going to talk about some sciencey stuff here, but we aren't real scientists. So a little disclaimer. Neither one of us. Yeah. Yes. If you're curious about how we shaped this episode, you can definitely refer to our research in the show notes. So we definitely encourage you to check it out, too, because there's some really interesting stuff in there. It's bonkers. Yeah. So cool. It is really cool. So there's a few awesome articles and videos, and those will be in the show notes. Nice. So to start off, we're going to talk about what fear is exactly. According to an article in Psychology Today, fear is an emotional response induced by a perceived threat, which causes a change in brain and organ function, as well as in behavior. Fear can lead us to hide, to run away, or to freeze in our shoes. Fear may arise from a confrontation or from avoiding a threat, or it may come in the form of a discovery. So why is this definition of fear so important when we talk about horror? The answer is different for everyone because we obviously all have different fears. Yeah. But our common denominator is that we all react in pretty much the same way. That's so true, though. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the science behind this reaction exactly? If you have taken a human biology or psych 101 class, then you might already know. But just as a refresher and a really simplified version, (laughs) what happens internally when you're afraid? Well, number one, as humans, part of our survival instinct is to observe what's happening around us. So observation is our first step to a flight or fight reaction. And that's a process caused by our sympathetic nervous system. Aw, it's so sympathetic. (laughs) So our brain then sends signals via the hypothalamus down to our nerves to the adrenal gland. And this gives off adrenaline or epinephrine, sending it through the circulatory system. And that's how the adrenaline gets pumped through your body. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then the epinephrine flows to the liver which activates glycogen, and then the glycogen is turned into glucose, and that means energy. Energy. Yay. (laughs) Jazz hands. Oh, yeah. Can't have jazz hands without glucose. (laughs) (laughs) So glucose and epinephrine work together to give you the energy that you need to survive a sticky situation, and this is in part thanks to ATP, which is short for adenosine triphosphate. And that's stored in your muscular tissue, waiting to be activated in situations like this. Oh my god. So yeah. science, so much science. Such science. <laughs> much wow. <laughs> so the epinephrine is, you know, flowing to different organs of the body, and this helps your heart beat faster, helps your lungs take in more air, and it causes vasodilation. And that means your veins expand and contract and push the blood faster through your body. So this, in turn, activates our muscles, telling us to shriek, jump, or run out of the room because Bathsheba the witch is hiding on top of a closet watching you sleep. You can't even joke about that, though. No, I know. Don't do it. (laughs) That gave us my epidemtrin is flowing to my (laughs) adrenal glands. (laughs) 
I'm freaking out now. <laughs> You're so cute when you talk about sciencey stuff, oh, Gracie. No, it's not good. So, um, thanks, Brain. Yeah. Thanks for the uh, flight or fight response. Nice. It's pretty great of you. This process is constantly displayed by victims and survivors in the horror genre. And the science behind it is pretty crazy, right? Like, there's a lot going on for such a small reaction. Yeah. The interesting thing is that fear is a universal reaction or emotion. So animals and humans both experience it as a part of our survival. So then um, if this is such a crazy reaction... Why do humans like to be scared? Like, what's in yeah, it for us? Yeah, that's so true. You know? Because animals it, don't do that. Do well, animals seek fear? No. No. So we have a unique relationship with it because we are the only species that seeks fear. We bungee jump, ride motorcycles, jump out of planes, and oh we watch horror. Yeah. So, what yeah, it's pretty the- nuts. Also, some humans use fear as a learning tool. So we put ourselves in dangerous situations to expand our knowledge and expose ourselves to danger in a controlled way. Our brain is designed to learn as much as possible, especially when it comes to the survival of our species. So people who are terrified of heights, like me, sometimes love to overcome that fear and to conquer it. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) And it gives them a sense of euphoria without really putting themselves at risk. So, like, you know that one episode where I played um, Outlast? Yes. Yeah. People love horror survival games because it's, like, it teaches them how to, like, control their emotions and, like, just breathe through it. You know what I mean? Haunted houses, too. Yes. It's pretty crazy, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. So loving horror really becomes an extension of searching for that euphoria because a lot of the time people who don't like to experience the tangible horror or the thrills like, you know, the bungee jumping and all that stuff, they have the opportunity to be thrilled by what they can take in on screen. Nice. Yeah. So... With that being said, there are so many different ways that you can experience, like, what scares you personally. Right. There are so many different genres for you to choose from in the horror world. You know, we'll post a link to this diagram that we have in the show notes because it's really cool. But there's a little something for everyone in the world of horror. This diagram that I'm talking about is uh, from a source called Popcorn Horror. And it breaks down the genres of horror into six main categories with a bunch of subcategories throughout. So your six, like, really big main ones that they talk about are, you know, the gore and disturbing horror, psychological, killer, monster movies, zombies, and, like, the paranormal stuff. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good breakdown. That is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you have a lot of stuff that falls into each category. So it's a, I think it's a good way to organize it, really. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think where I fit in here. Yeah. Paranormal, I think. Yeah? That's probably what I'm the most scared of when I look at this, and psychological. Man, I think I have to agree with you. Yeah, because these other ones I love, but mm-hmm. I don't know if they scare me like the paranormal and psychological ones actually like frighten me kind of right thing, you yeah because those are like for me those are real real fears that are like yeah. deeply rooted <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 well and i can see some people not liking killer ones because of 
real killers. Real killers. <laughs> um, yeah. And gore and disturbing, but I think, yeah, those are my two. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. So we also did a little bit of research on, you know, certain directors and why they fell into horror and, you know, why some producers and stuff like that. They talk about why horror interests them. And in an interview with Film 4 back in 2016, when horror directors were asked why they liked horror, they had some interesting responses. Tim Burton said that he relates to the monsters in horror because they are the most human, like Frankenstein, while the villagers were kind of the more scary ones. He said horror is where people perceive what's weird and not weird, and these are the characters that are most human. Yeah, and Olivia Howe and Anna Bugotskaya, and they're both film producers for The Final Girls, they said, no other genre sticks with you like horror does, and no other genre gets into your head so much and makes you kind of challenge and feel uncomfortable in your everyday environment. They go on to say that it's universal, so when you watch it in a theater with other fans, it's contagious. Other interviewees like Jason Bloom and Julia Ducourneau and Gareth Tunley go on to say that horror has the ability to say things about the human condition without blatantly explaining them. That's another thing, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they horror can really treat your, its audience like they're smart already. Right. Which is very rare. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there doesn't have to be a lot of explanation, <laughs> because it explores <laughs> what fear really means to humans. And since fear is one of those universal emotions, just like happiness, there's always something in a horror genre that will scare people, and it is unique to everyone. That's so cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And if, if you think about it, because... Each and every human is different, and the two emotions that are on, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum seem to connect us all. Totally, yeah. So, Gracie, what scares you the most? You know, I'm scared of really petty things, <laughs> but I'm also, I, I, I think I'm also scared of very logical things as well. Yes, yeah. Like, the really stupid petty things that I'm scared of are driving and wasps. <laughs> Those are not petty. But they everyone drives, <laughs> and wasps will never go away. They're bugs. They live in the environment. You can't get away from them. They don't pay their rent. They sleep with your wife. They're the worst. They are the worst. They're literally the worst. <laughs> they look like aliens, which is why alien actually scares me. Like the, oh, the xenomorph. Oh, see? The way the xenomorph. Making those connections. Yes. The way the xenomorph looks reminds me of a wasp, especially its tail that, like, stabs You're you. Right. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> with all of my heart flames on the flames side of your on face. the side of my face <laughs> i hate the xenomorph i love it but i hate it yeah because it's scared it does scare me because of that yeah um but then other things that i'm afraid of are like a death in the family like that kind of stuff i'm afraid of yeah like i don't want that to happen and i'm scared for when it does happen because that's inevitable you right. know it's gonna happen eventually yeah um, i mean that's a rational fear right yeah 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 so i think like that's what I'm most afraid of are those three things. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe getting pregnant. Oh! <laughs> Maybe that's yes. why Rosemary's baby scares that's, me too. Oh my God, that's a huge one. And yeah. that's actually like a really big, I don't want to say like it's just a female fear because I'm sure that there are guys out there who 
maybe as like an irrational fear or like, oh my God, pregnancy. But like with pregnancy, like your body is changing. The mm-hmm. woman's body is changing. And you More don't than- have control no, of it. No, you don't. And with men... Uh, sorry guys, but your body does not change <laughs> and you know, you're just your lifestyle maybe yeah. will change. But you might get a dad bod, which is which really cute. It is kind of cute though. Yeah. So that's fine. You guys <laughs> will be fine with your dad bods. <laughs> um, but you know, like you said, like you can't control the weight gain. Uh, I mean, some women, un- it's, it's unhealthy, I guess, but I guess some women like lose weight in a weird yeah. way. Like feet swell up and well and the birth itself yes and then of course the giving birth part yeah it's scary it's nuts there's actually um if any of you have seen prometheus which i'm sure many of you have um if you love the alien franchise there is a really gnarly scene in there where the main female protagonist is impregnated and she gives herself a C-section. Yes. Yeah. And it's nuts. It is nuts. And that, I think, did a really great job of capturing that fear. I think so, too. Because that's the other thing, where some women don't give birth through their vagina. Yes. They have to have a C-section. Which is just as scary. Just as scary, if not more. Yeah. Because, um, again, like, your body is the one doing the work. But in this case, somebody else is doing it. Yeah. And you don't have control over how they're doing it. Yeah. And that's scary. And for a lot of women, it's very upsetting because they want to give birth naturally. But if there's complications yeah. or something. And, you know, some women prefer, like, painkillers, basically, while they're giving birth. So you're kind of, like, in that weird drugged state. And yeah, you don't, every, you're, you're, like, you're, again, we've never given birth, so, right. like, we don't know, but you're right. Like, there's so many different ways to do it. Then, of course, if we want to talk about this, there's a fear of not doing it right in society's right, eyes, yeah. where people, like, penalize you for um, wanting to take drugs when you're giving birth, or not wanting to, or having a home birth, or a hospital birth. There's somebody who's going to make you feel bad or scared about your choice, and that just makes your pregnancy even more uh, frightening. Exactly. Because you're worried about what people are going to say about your choices. Yeah. And that just puts women in a bad place in general. It's true. And it's captured perfectly in horror, honestly. Yes, absolutely. Like, I think if we're going to choose a genre to kind of, like, carry that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there are dramas and stuff that portray that, but I th- horror does the best job, I think, personally, mm-hmm. portraying that. Yeah. So, What are you afraid of? Um, My petty fears mm-hmm. are... <laughs> I'm going to say petty because where we live, there are no sharks. But sharks, <gasps> I'm terrified of sharks. a good one. I'm have so... you seen Open Water? Um, I don't think I have it's... because sharks. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't afraid of the ocean, and I'm not really afraid of the ocean. I'm like terrified I, of the ocean. Really, yeah. I I don't mind swimming in the ocean when I can like touch the shore. But if I'm out in the middle of of nowhere, mm. it's not gonna happen nope. because open water. <gasps> that movie Ooh. too much. You won't like it. It's horrible. Oh no! Very scary. Now I'm gonna have to watch it. The sharks will like circle Stop. the people. Stop! And uh, they like I can't even listen. touch the floor because Ooh. my feet. <laughs> listen, the sharks will like bump them with their noses <laughs> to kind of like figure them out. No. 
but they don't eat them yet they like wait and they like bump them they're like hmm is this tasty yeah are you a tender tender piece of meat it's frightening (laughs) no it's almost more scary to have that happen to you than just the shark biting you my palms are sweating oh my god i'm sorry (laughs) fight or flight response (laughs) glucose Yeah, so that's, that's a great, that's a very rational fear in my opinion. Yeah. My other one, splinters or mm. getting like shards of glass yeah. in your feet. Yeah. That, which doesn't happen very often for me. Don't worry, everybody. Like, I'm not in any saw like situations where I'm like stepping on glass. I was just thinking like that's probably why the saw movies really uh, mm. scare you is because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. The mm. needle pit part. Oh, mm-hmm. gross. And then my other like rational fear, I guess, is being buried alive mm-hmm. that's a good fear like suffocating to death Ooh, yeah so with that being said though like your favorite horror director who mm-hmm. is it and why does their style scare you so much that's a good question well, here i want to hear yours first so mine is uh james wan because yes. He, he's like a master horror director, in my opinion. He's a modern master, for Um, sure. Yeah, because he captures, obviously, the social aspects of, like, family and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, what your fears are as a parent. Also, you know, just as a person. I think he does a really, really great job. And possession really frightens me. Mm -hmm. Like, demonic possession. Mm -hmm. You know, those frightening possession images mm-hmm. with like you know and we've talked about this in previous episodes but a lot of James Wan's like demons and like um supernatural characters have eyes that are otherworldly yeah I mean eyes are terrifying they're yeah. used as a tool in horror to scare the living daylights out of people and yeah. he captures that perfectly like he knows how to make someone look absolutely insane mm-hmm. like out of their minds and I love that. You know, okay, so I was just thinking about this, and there are certain horror movies that scare me, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily the director. But just now, I was thinking how William Friedkin's movies, mm-hmm. he's the director of The Exorcist, mm-hmm. he was able to make a very normal-looking house and a very normal-looking sidewalk very scary like obviously like the whole thing with reagan being possessed and whatever but there is something about the staircase and there's something about the kitchen there's just something about that house that does not feel right even before anything happens yeah and I don't know a lot about filmmaking. I should learn more. Uh, But there's like the lighting is so interesting and like ominous. The way the where the camera is when everyone is like walking through the house is sort of like what how the viewer feels. I think you're Mm -hmm. sort of like to the side and it kind of feels like it's your POV. Yes. In certain scenes. Yes. And I think that's why. It really scares me. And um, he's he also did a movie called Killer Joe, mm-hmm. which is a great film. It has the most one of the most astounding endings I've ever seen in my life. It's wild. Wow. And that is one of the... It's not a horror movie, but it is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And that's 
however he gets these actors to the way that they walk near each other is really weird and the ending scene the way he he uh filmed it i don't want to give it away because it's so weird is it Uh, sort of like an uncanny valley kind of feeling where like it feels like you're there but they're not no it feels like you're there and you can't do anything it feels like you're there with your hands tied behind your back like you're astroplaning Yes, and you're watching these events happen, and you can't help the people involved. And that's how The Exorcist makes me feel, and that's how Killer Joe makes me feel. So I think William Friedkin is somebody who I think every movie I've seen by him has really affected me in some way. Him and Dario Argento. Yeah. Very similar style in a sense where you feel like you're there with the people and you're, like you said, astroplaning and you're, mm-hmm. you can't do anything to help the people that you're seeing being killed or tortured or whatever. Oh, That's, I think those two are really frighten me. Every, all their movies kind of give me that feeling. That's actually really interesting because you can kind of say the same thing about like modern life <laughs> and society. Yes. You see all of this stuff going on around you and sometimes you feel so helpless. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why it's so scary also. It's because it's kind of that like subconscious thing that we'll talk about further when we get more in depth into the episode. But that's super interesting. Yeah. Wow, thanks Gracie. Thank you, Abby. Yeah. For asking the question. Of course. So this also leads into another topic that I think is really cool that I was kind of dabbled in it a little bit when I studied psych in college, but Carl Jung came up with the shadow self. That was part of his teaching. And the idea was introduced when he said that everyone basically has to go through an individuation process, meaning they build qualities that lead to healthy personalities. So there's a little bit of everything here, and there's pretty much like four main parts to the teaching. So you have the persona, the shadow self, the anima or animus, and ultimately the self. Obviously, for our subject, we're going to focus on the shadow self component of his teachings because it's the most relevant to how horror relates. But if you guys ever get the chance, read up on his theories and teachings because there are some interesting tidbits if you want to know more about personality psych. Highly recommend. It's really cool. So Jung believed that in order to access our unconscious, we had to identify the traits that contributed to our shadow self. And these are the things that we or others perceive as negative, uh, the things inside of us that are too dark or weird to show everyone else. He believed that if we weren't in touch or able to identify this part of ourselves, chaos would ensue with good reason. We all know (laughs) what suppression can lead to. So Jung said, Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. At all counts, it forms an unconscious snag, thwarting our most well-meant intentions. So he basically goes on to say that if we ignore it, it only gets worse. Yikes. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say that anyone who has an interest in horror is definitely in touch with at least part of their shadow self. Um, My mom would call it morbid curiosity. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, like all growing up and stuff, I, I was like kind of weird and like, and I kind of blame her because like I was raised <laughs> on like crime shows like CSI and like Law and Order and stuff yeah. like that. 
like I was way too young to be watching that but I mean it kind of shaped me into who I am today Mm -hmm. so in one of our coffee break episodes too we talk about why exposing children to horror is a good idea within reason of course and again Gracie and I don't have kids yet but we came to the conclusion that it allows us to open up conversations with kids that may be tricky to bring to light in the first place And there's an interesting article that was published in Psychology Today that talks about morbid curiosity and how it actually benefits us as humans. And it says, In Killing Monsters, Why Children Need Fantasy, Superheroes, and Make-Believe Violence, Gerard Jones argues that children can benefit from exposure to fictional violence because it makes them feel powerful in a, quote, scary, uncontrolled world, unquote. The child's fascination with mayhem has less to do with the fighting and more to do with how the action makes her feel. Children like to feel strong. Those committing violence are strong. By pretending to be these violent figures, children take on their strength and with it, negotiate daily daggers. Carl Jung makes a similar argument for adults. He maintains that our mental health depends on our shadow. That part of our psyche that harbors our darkest energies, such as melancholia and murderousness. The more we repress the morbid, the more it forments neurosis or psychosis. To achieve wholeness, we must acknowledge our most demonic inclinations. Yes, I took pleasure in my enemy's tumble from grace. Yes, I couldn't stop watching 9-11 footage. Once we welcome these unseemingly resolves as integral portions of our being, the devils turn angels. Luke owns the Vader within, offers affection to the actual villain, off comes the scary mask, and there stands a father, loving and in need of love. So if anyone challenges you for your love of horror... Just show them this article. Seriously, though. I'm so glad we had a Star Wars reference in there. Oh, well, I mean, (laughs) we had to. I was hoping and waiting. You know what I mean? (laughs) What do you think is a weird thing that you're interested in that other people would be like, what the F, Gracie? But like it's you could bring it up with me in conversation and it would be like completely normal. I love human bones. Yes. I want a curiosity cabinet so bad. I have such a small apartment. I can't have one now, but I love teeth. I love human teeth. Yes. I was going to say that. Yes. <laughs> but my dad, like I grew up with him working in dental offices. Yeah, so like yeah. I loved the idea of like fake teeth and then that kind of grew <laughs> like dentures. I love yes. how they looked so weird and cool to me. And then I, that kind of grew to like real teeth. Like when I got my wisdom teeth out, mm. I wanted to keep them so bad. I think mm. my mom may still have them actually, but I was like so thrilled. You kept your wisdom teeth? Yeah. Because I didn't know I, they let you do that. Yeah. The roots were all twisted <gasps> and gnarly. Ooh. Oh, my God. It was so great. Um, so I love that. I love I love skulls. I want to have a, my own human skull. I have a friend who's from Peru, and she said that um, her grandmother's uh, skull is in her family's home in Peru. Amazing. Yep. And they just she just hangs out in the, in the open on a table. I mean, like, we keep urns full of human remains. Yeah, why not keep your grandma's skull? I would love that. I'm not even kidding. Like that, So I like human bones. I think that they're really cool. Well, they're amazing. The construction of a human being is amazing. I like brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm sure you I like, do. I like organs in general. Um, I, well, because of 
you know, my love for psych and stuff mm-hmm. like that, we um, would have to watch videos of, like, neurosurgeons operating on brains and being like, this is what meningitis looks like, right. which is a disgusting. If you ever want to not eat for a day, if you do intermittent fasting, go ahead and look up photos of, uh, you know, like, meningitis or Gross. neurosyphilis and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like that. I also really love crime scene photos. Ah, uh, I like that, too. I don't... Are, that that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. Me neither. No. Which, I like, I feel like it should. But, you know, they say that, like, if you're afraid that you're a psychopath, you're not a psychopath. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. just a weird fascination that I have. I think because it's, like, it, there's a degree of separation, I think. Yes. Like, if I had maybe seen a crime scene in real life, I think I might be affected. I don't know. But photos don't bother me. Until you see a body in real life, like an actual deceased person. Yeah, like exactly like you said, like that separation is there. Luke worked at a morgue uh, for about... He did for about six months and he uh, got to be very close to dead bodies and it it changed him a little bit in that sense where he was like, now he kind of is a little bit more respectful. Well, you kind of, you realize your own mortality and mm-hmm. how quickly it can happen. Yeah. And it's per, like it's permanent, you right, know. Right, of course. That body is no longer that person, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. So we actually took these short little quizzes to identify our um, shadow selves. Oh, boy. By the way, we'll link this in the show notes so you guys can take it, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let us know what you get. Please let us know. Because we want to know what our listener base is like, if you're like us. Yeah. You can find us on our social media or email us at goodmorningnancy at gmail.com. Shameless plug. Yep. (laughs) So mine said that you are on the right path to embracing your shadow. You are aware that certain ideas your family and friends have about you are inaccurate and are conscious that many so-called negative emotions or reactions can, in fact, be very valuable. You are not scared to admit you have a dark side (laughs) and are fascinated rather than frightened by it. 
and you often channel some of it into creative work or thought or to get what you want, which is so accurate it's scary. When I read that, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> like, Have you been stalking, Abby? <laughs> what? I was pretty shocked. It was really spot on. Yeah. Well, From like was... an outsider's point of view, kind well, of, you know, and the fact that you see it too is like, it's just weird. Yeah, it is weird. You what wanna, did you, yeah, what you did you get? My... Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like bummed out by mine. Why? Because listen, you suppress your shadow self. <laughs> All right. You are aware that there is a part of yourself you don't understand, but you suppress it. You live in fear of losing control. You don't like the idea of a shadow as it has connotations of being evil or bad. You often chastise yourself for the reactions you have, but feel that with greater self-control, you can overcome these tendencies. Mm, And I... You kind of sound like Norma Bates. (laughs) That's what worried me. I was like, Jung says I need to open up to my darker self but you know what when I read that I thought I definitely see that in myself and in how I react or how I act with other people yeah and um I try to stay in control of situations where you know like I don't know I'm very extroverted Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I can see myself being very like uppity and talky and uh kind of I don't necessarily wear a mask but I try to keep everything very light yeah and well, I, you're a you're a natural leader yeah I think because you're also the oldest sibling that's so true yeah yeah and you're the youngest yeah so I'm mm. very, like I like to just kind of hang back and observe more mm-hmm. instead of really like taking charge I guess yeah. Which, I don't know, it depends on the situation, though, because I know a lot of people who would be like, you? No, you're, like, large and in charge all the time, and I'm like, But are you well, like that with your friends? No, not really. Really? Okay. If I had to, like, describe myself, I would say I'm, like, the cool aunt, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know how there's a mom in your friend group? Yep. I'm not the mom. I'm, like, the cool aunt that helps take care of people, but I'm also like, I'm gonna go do what I want now. Bye. Yeah. I think I'm the mom. Yes, I could see that. You're very caring and nurturing. Thanks, and Abby. I think <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that with that comes this image that you have to keep, per se. Mm, but like it, image. It kind of does. Like, yeah. it goes hand in hand. So, like, you don't want to seem, like, too, too much, I guess. Yes. When you're in a position like that. This is no, but you're absolutely right. I think that was a really great point. Like there is an image that I think I consciously feel like I have to keep up in order to get through life. <laughs> but I don't necessarily feel like it's a bad thing. No. Because no. I think I think there's a part of me that also feels very comfortable with doing that in the world and then yes. coming home and being maybe my real self when I'm home. Yes. Yes, agree. Which I'm totally okay agree. with. Yeah. But I can see how other people not being okay with that. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Well, and also, if it makes you feel any better, I don't necessarily mean or think that it means you're being fake, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I think you just know you're able to gauge situations and be like, okay, I don't need to act like that in this setting or like in this social setting. Or maybe like there's no time to act this way. I have right. to act this way in order to get 
this thing done yeah. or to do this thing. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, how much more do you feel like your shadow represents you? I think that's, it pretty much sums it up in a nutshell. Like, do you think you've always been that way? Um, no. Or do you I think, think you've I, learned to be more of yourself yes. as you've gotten older? And um, I love my family very, very much. Like, they are obviously my rock, and they've always been there for me. But I think the more independence that I gained from them, the more I kind of came into myself and, like, learned how to embrace that darkness. Mm-hmm. I come from a really conservative Christian family. Right. You know, my mom is, anyone who knows her, she's like super bright and cheery. She loves colors. She's so creative. And she's just like a really good-hearted, genuine person. And she has a hard time understanding why I love horror and why I love, you know, like dark art and (laughs) like metal music and stuff like that. Like... I think she has a harder time embracing that side of herself but Mm -hmm. with you know me being out of the nest kind of like I was able to just be like wow I can express this freely and it's great. So people who I've known for a very long time and found out we were starting this podcast were like oh yeah I can see Abby doing it but you? (laughs) And I was like wow way to judge. Yes. Um, Because we both like very similar things but Outwardly, we are both very different people. Yeah, we're mad different. We are. We are very different horror fans. And I think people were kind of shocked that I wanted, that I liked horror. And I was like, hey guys, yeah, I've loved it since I was nine. And they're like, what? Yeah, you've actually loved it longer than I have been watching it. I'm also older than you. So, well, I've been watching it longer anyway. You had a head start. (laughs) So, a few years. I guess so. Wow, that's so. The shadow thing was so cool. You guys definitely take this quiz. It's so interesting. And take it uh, with your friends around and have this conversation like, you know, what we're doing. It's really fun. Yeah, seriously. Good, uh, good slumber party convo. Yeah. Over some adult beverages. Yes. (laughs) So. Yeah, so this is all really fascinating, and there's a really interesting study of, you know, this pertaining to horror that Dr. Stephen Schlossman addresses in a really good TEDx Nashville video. Mm-hmm, that um, was a good video. It's so good. So Dread Central actually posted the video and said about the talk, what makes the presentation so special is that it's obvious that Dr. Schlossman is not just a researcher of horror, he's a lifelong fan. He speaks about various films with such passion and delight that it's impossible to stop a smile from crossing your face. This is a man who realizes that horror is not the lowbrow entertainment that so many people deem it, but rather, it's a place where we can learn so much about people and everything they have to offer. It's a bit of a long video, clocking in at nearly 22 minutes, but it's worth every second. Mm -hmm. So it's true, the video is a long one, but it is indeed worth the watch. Mm -hmm. Also, TED Talks, uh, TED Talks are life. I love them. There's very few TED Talks where I was like, this was a waste of my time. Yeah. So what Dr. Schlossman says about humans is pretty poignant. And to summarize, he talks about humans having a metacognition or a thought about a thought. Mm -hmm. So what he's getting at here is that horror makes you look deeper. And there are typically two types of people. One comes out of the movie and says, nope, never again, because I was too scared. Mm -hmm. 
And those who leave and say, you know, wow, I'm not really sure why I liked that as much as I did, but this film really made me think. So he also mentions pattern recognition and how horror helps your brain recognize when something is just slightly off or not quite right. Mm -hmm. As an adaptive response, you see patterns in everyday life. That's a cat, that's a dog, that's a human, etc. But when something or some feature isn't what you'd typically see, it causes an emotional response, most likely fear. And he likens this to racial prejudice and how we recognize that people are people, but there's something different about these particular people because they don't look like me. Mm -hmm. He poses the idea that this is our neurobiological substrate for prejudice. And that's just a fancy way of saying a neurobiological reason for that type of behavior. So this makes me think that horror does a really good job of helping us identify what makes us truly frightened in a really subtle way. Because we learn how to identify what's frightening while we watch a film, and then we can take that out into the world. Once our brain learns something that ignites a really powerful emotional response, it's forming new layers to your thought process, and you're never the same way again. This is how we create change, I think, and it's one of the reasons why I love horror so much. So movies that like we talk about on the show obviously have that kind of impact. Yeah. And like a couple of my favorites are Get Out and I know you talk about how much you love Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. and like Stepford Wives and yes. stuff like that. How do you think that that impacts our society like psychologically and kind of socially because you can easily intermingle the two I guess sociology and psychology kind of go hand in hand like with get out that addressed you know racial prejudice in such a way that you know it felt like you were watching a horror movie but you were also like the wheels turn in your head and you're like wow this could easily be like a story that just happens. I think that these types of horror movies really make you feel like your fears are valid. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of uh, feel like, I know I felt like this, where you feel like the things that you're afraid of or the things that you're afraid of, like when you leave your house, like socially, uh, you don't feel like they're very valid. Mm -hmm. Like if you think of Rosemary's Baby, it's like pregnancy is not so bad. People get pregnant and have babies every day. Or like Stepford Wives, like women stay home and uh, become housewives every day to take care of kids and their house. And if it's against your will, it's very scary. Yeah, absolutely. you know, I think horror movies sort of, they validate our very rational fears. Yeah. So... That can also be taken to the extreme, though, too, Mm -hmm. with films like, you know, a Serbian film or... Oh, God. You know, like... Spit on Your Grave. Yes. Or Hostel. Mm -hmm. Like, any of those, like, gore porn movies, Mm -hmm. kind of, I think, really touch base with that. Mm -hmm. But I have a hard time talking about a Serbian film because I think it is too extreme for me. Obviously, this is my personal opinion, but I don't think that films like that really need to be made. It's gratuitous? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. With, so with that being said, I don't know if it really opens up a conversation more than, you know, allows 
a psychopath to get away with creating something. Well, and what's the conversation? Oh my god, I saw this really crazy movie. Oh my god, I did too. It was so crazy. Ma ma ma. What else do we talk about when we talk about the Serbian film? I feel like it's almost like a rite of passage film. Yes. Rather than a film that actually gives you a valid conversation. It's not a valid conversation piece. It's something that, like, fingers crossed, I would never be in that situation. So there isn't really much that I could take from it or Mm -hmm. learn from it. Granted, you know, like, I don't really foresee myself being in a situation like the protagonist and I spit on your grave like I don't want that but it happens and well that's why the the director made that right because it it does happen right it's very sad that also begs the question though like does the stuff in a Serbian film happen in little pockets of the globe that we don't know about probably probably and And maybe that's that's the conversation right Hmm. right so That's a hard-to-swallow pill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's, I think, exactly what Dr. Schlossman is talking about. So he then talks about how great it is that horror can take those things that we aren't super comfortable talking about, and it displaces them so that we can think about our fears in a different way. So basically, horror is teaching us to be more mindful without making a big stink about it. Yeah. Get Out, again, is it's brilliantly done in that film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get the perspective of what it feels like to be a black person in America. And, you know... Yeah, even though we'll never, ever in a million years understand what it's like. No, because we're white women. Right. <laughs> so... That's so interesting. Yeah, because it's like you are on his side and you are also afraid of all the white people. Yes, Yes. Even though you you yourself watching it, you're white. Exactly. You're looking at it and you're like, this is not good. (laughs) But it also shows how normal that is. It's a regular occurrence. And the main character acts like, you know, he just kind of like brushes it off and is just like, well, you know. The fact that he is just like, well, they're just they're just racist. It it keeps him there because it's so normalized. Right. Instead of him just being like, screw this, goodbye, right away. Yes, exactly. It's really sad. So why is this important for feminism? Mm. Like we said before, horror has such a social role to play in pop culture that, of course, feminism is a topic that's going to be brought up over and over with movies like Rosemary's Baby and Stepford Wives to give a couple classics and new ones like The Witch, The Descent, Scream, American Mary. They all give us a modern take on feminism in horror. Mm -hmm. So maybe it has something to do with women being more in tune with a different side of feminism. The dark, mysterious layers that used to be so taboo are now bubbling to the surface and telling women it's okay to embrace that darkness because it's part of who you are. I think men have always kind of had the upper hand when it comes to a lot of stuff, obviously, and embracing that darkness and that morbid curiosity is no different. Sure, there are a lot of male horror directors that we can think of and list off of the top of our heads, but what about the ladies, like Mary Heron, who directed American Psycho? Yes, queen. Like, so many people don't know that that's directed by a woman. Yeah. Jennifer Kent, who directed The Babadook, Karen Kusama, Jennifer's Body. Those are just a few directors that you've probably never heard too much publicity about. For the longest time, 
like I said, I didn't know that American Psycho was directed by a woman. Mm -hmm. But then I found out and there was this overwhelming sense of empowerment that I felt. And I was like, okay, yes, cool. There are others like me. Yeah. So I think that darkness has held a very masculine energy for a long time because aggression, violence, and ego power or like power tripping, it's seen as a very male tendency. But horror sheds this really great light on what makes females tick, snap, fight back, get revenge. It basically shows that trauma happens to females, yes, but it has the ability to give them like inconceivable powers. The whole point of feminism is equality. Exactly. And that means like equality even in our bad traits or our dark traits. Mm -hmm. Like we should be allowed to express dark feelings yes being ostracized like anyone who is a woman knows that it's not always sunshine and rainbows like it's pretty much far from it like your uterus falls out of your body every month and there's probably there you might have complications with it as well and you know there are a litany of other problems that come with being a female yeah american mary which is directed by the soska sisters is a perfect example of this. Yes. Uh, It's the story of a woman who is trying to find a way to pay for medical school to become a surgeon, and in doing so, she stumbles into the world of body modification, where she works underground to give people the persona they desire while raking in tons of cash and getting the experience she needs in the medical field. In the middle of the film, she is raped by her medical professor, but exacts her revenge in such a twisted and educated way that you can't help but cheer her on Mm -hmm. so there's this really good article on bitch flicks that talks about how american mary does this for women what is significant about mary's consequential emergent into the world of body modification is that it's engaged by very willing consenting participants who are firstly and predominantly women As pertinacious as they are distinct in their appearance, the women who helped to launch Mary's body mod-specific surgical career, Beatrice, who's played by Tristan Risk, and Ruby Real Girl, who's played by Paula Lindbergh, who seek to surgically modify their appearances to resemble Betty Boop and a human doll, value body mod and surgical transformation as a distinct form of sovereign self-possession that reclaims bodies otherwise controlled or possessed by external forces. Grandiosely, Ruby summarizes the allure and empowerment of body mod, stating, quote, I don't think it's really fair that God gets to choose what we look like on the outside, do you? Unquote. This sort of direct control over one's physical features, particularly when enacted by women slash for women, this craven need for specific suturing that allows Mary to not only hone her craft, but to find herself through her neck for flawlessly changing skin and bodies. She articulates her selfhood with each stitch while simultaneously allowing those she operates on to attain their purest selves. It is certainly no coincidence that during Mary's operation on Ruby, the rendition of Ave Maria we hear in the opening scene is woven into the scene just as effortlessly as Mary's surgical tools carve and reshape Ruby's flesh. Both women are symbiotically asserting selfhood through an act often thought to barbarously or carnally be just for men. 
The article goes on to talk about the sexual assault scene in the film and how it's relevant without being over-the-top or exploitive, another subject that is often highlighted in horror because it's a very real fear that women have. Already coded as a predator, we are not shocked by the nevertheless paralyzingly appalled as Dr. Grant drugs and rapes Mary, all while filming the violent transgression. It would almost seem this act and the Soska sisters' directorial choice to unflinchingly present the violation in its entirety, often from Mary's perspective, betrays the trenchant themes of female self-possession, anatomous expression established in the film, and falls into the triggering and tiresome trend of rape and sexual assault in other films. However, keeping with the Soska sisters' own sentiments conveyed in their 2014 interview with Bitchflix, the inclusion of the graphic assault scene is reflective of the prevalence of violence against women that is often ignored, disputed, or modernized. The violence that is acted upon, Mary, is not a plot device nor a gratuitous exploitation of the female body, and the ensuing violence she enacts as either retribution or psychological processing is not portrayed as erotic or glamorous. Rather, it is seen as coping, tasteless, merciless, and often directionless coping to contend with an act that defied explanation. What is critical, though, is that Mary never loses nor surrenders her mastery over her suturing and the identity she consecrates through that, though she does relinquish from the male-dominated legitimate surgeon's realm. Even down to her final moments, she is in control of her craft and her identity. Wow. That was that was yeah. a long uh, excerpt that I took, but that article is so, so good, you guys. If you get the chance, read it. It's in the show notes. Totally. It was so well written. It's yeah. so great. Sorry I had to hear my voice read it. No! <laughs> <laughs> so, but this is one of the main reasons why I chose this film as an example. Um, because it's easy for filmmakers to put a rape... Well, I shouldn't say that it's easy, but... <laughs> filmmakers put rape scenes in horror films like quite often but the difficult part is keeping in mind the way that the victim copes or chooses to press on yeah mary is not a helpless female and she is super intelligent she's in tune with that shadow self of hers and she gives other women that gentle pat on the back and tells them i'm here to support you in finding that version of yourself too yeah american mary i I think I watched it when I was in college. I just remember feeling super, super empowered after watching it. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of other, uh, you know, of my like female friends who have seen it feel the same way. But surprisingly, a lot of male friends that I have love that movie mm-hmm. and not for the reasons you would think. Like Mary is like super, be- she's beautiful and stuff. Yeah, and she's whatever. the actress from Ginger Snaps, right? Yes. Yeah. But they were like, you know, I was talking to one of my good friends from college about it, and he's like, I love seeing women in movies who are super intelligent and, you know, like, putting themselves through college, even if, you know, she kind of <laughs> usurped the typical yeah. way. Um, but he was really passionate about that and, like, talked about it a lot. It's just great. And I, I think this author of this article just hit the nail right on the head by saying that you know, this rape scene mm-hmm. 
in this case was done in such a way that led to an empowered character. Yeah. So that's kind of a fine line, I feel like, in a Mm -hmm. lot of modern horror because now sexual assault has been really laid out on the table and people are not standing for it anymore. Could we connect this to the Me Too movement? Where it's like women who have gone through sexual assault or unwanted sexual situations Mm -hmm. where they can all find each other and help support each other and lift each other up. Yeah, and absolutely. That, and that goes for men, too. Finding men who have gone through this and knowing, and letting men know that they're not alone, that it, this is not just something that happens to women, it also happens to men, and it, it gets brushed under the rug to them, too. Right, or people who don't yeah. identify really with any gender-typical, you know, tendencies or anything like that. Like, it's just opened up this whole community and, mm-hmm. you know, world for people. So Aaron from Your Next is actually another example. <laughs> I love this film so much. I know you do. We're mm-hmm. going to be talking about this film in this season, guys. Yay! Yeah. yeah. She's super badass. And in the end, she also exacts her revenge on her murderous boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Who Spoiler hires, alert. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he hires a team of assassins to kill his family in an attempt to inherit the family fortune. But Aaron who was trained as a survivalist, doesn't let him get the goods. She stands firm in her beliefs, and even though she's shot by a cop in the end of the movie, she fights to the very end, and she's not a waif. Far from it. And I think when women see that, there's a light bulb that kind of goes off and says, that can totally be me. Yes. So films like these are kind of essential to the psychology of women. Yeah. And... They also kind of approach, maybe not so much your next, because that's more of like a physically empowering movie, but Mm -hmm. movies like American Mary kind of bring mental health to the table. Yeah. And how crucial it is for the survival of, you know, people who are um, atypical genders or don't fit into like a social norm or anything like that. Or people who are abused. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. They provide that kind of like safe space for people to maybe not even talk with anyone else but realize that they're not alone yeah in that so these movies are super important for mental health and for people who might not otherwise seek help did you guys hear that write that down horror movies are good for your mental health true story you heard it here first (laughs) so yeah wow abby Thank you for producing such a wonderful special. Oh, you're so welcome. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes, I'm sure they did. It was very enlightening. Yes. Uh, Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to every single person on Patreon for your support, especially our Ellen Ripley supporters, James Kobe and Jarvis Ginn. Because of you guys on Patreon, we were able to take time and make these specials. And Abby was able to do the special basically on her own while I was in bed dying. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. It's because of you we're able to do this kind of stuff for you guys. And that's what we want to do is make more fun content for you yes absolutely all of the books all of the research all of the 
research articles that I used yeah. that you have to pay for. The time that you <laughs> took when you weren't working your day job to yes. do this. Like, yeah. It's a, it really helps us out, you guys. And, and if you think we're doing a good job here and you would like to see our podcast grow, head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy and help us out. Don't forget to check out our merch at goodmorningnancy.com slash merch also. We've got some really awesome goodies there. We sure do. And yeah, get a t-shirt. They're so soft. Oh, love them. <laughs> get a mug. Yes! You can put your coffee recess in Recess coffee in it. You sure can <laughs> put your recess coffee in it. <laughs> and don't forget to leave a positive review about our show on your favorite podcast app. Yes. That helps us out tremendously. And tell a friend about our show. Spread the love. Yes! <laughs> And if you'd like to stay up to date, follow us on Twitter at Good Morning Nan, Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to this very special episode and have a great morning. Bye.